This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Government funds genetic research at area hospital, yeah, so? Pig man, baby, pig man. If I have to hear about this pig man one more time... Hey, I'm telling you, the pig man is alive. The government has been experimenting with pig men since the 50s. Oh, would you stop? But just because the hospital's conducting DNA research doesn't mean they're creating a race of mutant pig men. Jerry, will you wake up to reality? It's a military thing. They're probably creating a whole army of pig warriors. Okay, welcome to the Sour of the Program, Rob Breckenridge with you. A uh, classic scene from, from Seinfeld, but I, I think it speaks to the sort of conspiracy theories that, that stem from stories like this, or just maybe the way that, that we react to it. Then maybe we don't fully understand what's happening here, or we can envision these scenarios where, you know, the, the science gets out of hand, or people with nefarious purposes uh, get a hold of it. And maybe we overlook where there's potential benefit. So here's the story from Post Media. And what's being hailed as a scientific tour de force, American researchers have succeeded in creating human pig chimera embryos with the ultimate goal of one day growing human organs in animals for transplant. So far, none of the interspecies embryos have been allowed to grow beyond four weeks. However, the experiments are raising profoundly sticky moral and ethical issues, including the remote but not impossible risk that human cells intended to morph into a new liver, pancreas, or heart win their way up to the animal's brain. Could that part human chimera somehow develop human consciousness? The successful creation of pig human chimeras is described in this week's issue of the scientific journal Cell. According to the article, researchers at the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in California injected different forms of human stem cells into pig embryos. Stem cells have the ability to transform into virtually any other type of cell in the body, allowing them in theory to regenerate damaged or diseased tissues. So there's a lot of potential benefit from this. Obviously, a lot of big questions. Joining us on the line for some thoughts, please to welcome the program, Dr. Arthur Kaplan, head of the Division of Bioethics at New York University, one of North America's certainly most prominent bioethics uh, ethicists. Dr. Kaplan, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, well, what, what are the questions that this raises in, in your mind? Well, it's still early days. I know we're tempted to kind of follow Seinfeld off to the world of pigmen or chimeras or minotaurs or griffins or all these other cross-species mythic beings of the past. But in one sense, this is a pretty primitive experiment right now. You just sort of got uh, cells into an embryo from a uh, human source. They did grow, although only 1% of them wound up going where they're supposed to. And the embryo still developed, if you will, using some of the human cells to grow. So I'm not going to trivialize it and say that's that's minor, but it's not like we don't have time to argue about where to take this and how to regulate it. What should be we watching for? Well, is the oversight enough? You know, a lot of people are kind of thinking, hey, they announce all of a sudden that they get animal cells growing inside, uh, excuse me, human cells growing inside animal embryos. That's kind of nervous making, who's watching this? <clears throat> so the FDA in the U.S. has some new rules out. I haven't seen much international legislation or regulation saying, yep, you could make a liver, but don't try to make a person, that sort of thing. So not as regulated, not as accountable as one might hope right now, but it's new. Certainly some people are thinking, well, I don't know, <clears throat> should we cross species? Is that some kind of transgression of a boundary? And I would just remind everybody listening that 
at breakfast, many of us ate animals. They became us. It's not like we don't commingle with animals. Um, in fact, I know that this will probably disappoint a lot of uh, listeners, but even if you have a dog, which I do, and one is sitting right at my foot as I'm talking to you from my house, her DNA gets into me just because it's in the air. <clears throat> so it's in my lungs. There's sort of interaction with animal tissues all the time. Some of us wind up sneezing, as we know, if we're allergic to pets and that sort of thing. But it's not like we never cross the boundary, either at breakfast or just in ordinary living between us and animal species. So that objection about the boundaries I don't think moves me. The last one I'll mention is safety. And as you pointed out, can we make sure the cells are going to go where we want them to go? I don't think anybody's going to worry too much if we made uh, an artificial liver and could transplant it back to somebody and save their life by putting uh, stem cells that can transform into lots of things into an animal embryo and having it make a liver. Having it make a brain, that's a different story. I don't think scientists or doctors are interested in that. They don't want that. But how can we be sure that some malevolent person didn't set out to do that? All right. So there are legitimate concerns. I think the human imagination can can take stories like this into all kinds of wild directions. But we are yeah. saying is that that there are legitimate areas of concern here. Absolutely. Um, look, you want to make sure that if you're going to do these experiments, and they still require a lot of technical help and a lot of knowledge, you can't just do them in your garage right now. Um, that everybody involved understands the only legitimate purpose here is to try and create transplantable tissues. I'm talking about hearts, and livers, and lungs, and uh, kidneys, that sort of thing. Uh, it cannot be something that we want to enter into the uh, brain or the nervous system, not because we'd wind up having a conscious uh, pig or a conscious cow. I don't even think it would work properly, but just because we don't want to even take the remote risk. So there has to be agreement that if you saw any reason to think that cells had gone in the wrong place, you'd have to terminate the animal. I think another issue for many people is are we going to treat the animals well if we're going to start farming them for organs in this way? And I think there's no reason to believe that we treat them badly. You know, if their parts are headed to a human, they're going to be treated very well. They would require, you know, optimal care, but that has to be assured. Given the lengthy wait times that exist for people awaiting an organ transplant, could you almost argue that we have a moral imperative to try to address that problem, and this is maybe one way of doing so? Is it, does that factor into to the ethical consideration? I do think it's important. You know, those waiting lists in Canada and the U.S. grow every single month. More and more people wind up needing a transplant. And it's not because they were irresponsible or didn't take care of themselves. You just see organ failure as people live longer. There are definitely more people eligible for an organ transplant because the technique is getting better. So people who had mental illness or some other coexisting disease, we now try to put them on wait lists. But I think everyone knows, both in uh, all over North America, the organ donor rates when you die are not what they should be. We don't get as many as we need. We don't get as many as we could. People who are on those waiting lists, if you said to them, well, would you be nervous about accepting a human organ grown in an animal? I think what you'd hear is, yeah, I'd be nervous, but I'd take it. 
It's interesting because uh, a few years ago, the, the U.S. Uh, banned public funding of this kind of research. So the, the study that was just published, that was done with, with private funding. Mm-hmm. Um, do we need to rethink that? Because if, if there's the potential for these breakthroughs, maybe this, this is something that, that does need more funding. Well, I would argue we should rethink it. <clears throat> the ban was there because, again, I think people worried a little bit more about those minotaurs or thinking that somehow they were going to wake up and, and find their you know next uh, professor was half ape, half man, which might be seen as an improvement by some of my students. But, um, you know, that, that, that really made people scared. And so the immediate knee-jerk reaction was to say no. I think now, if you understand that what we're talking about is growing, you know, it's not even really growing organs, it's growing cells. Um, I'm not sure we're ever going to figure out how to grow a heart inside a pig that is uh, human enough to put in us. I'm pretty sure we might be able to figure out how to grow liver cells. Remember, they grow back. If the liver gets damaged, they kind of regenerate, and that is kind of what you need, at least as far as a liver transplant goes. So if the purpose is acceptable and we think there's enough oversight, I think you should permit government money to be spent on it. Well, that's important to consider because this research is being done in a jurisdiction where there is oversight. These scientists are publishing their findings uh, in a medical journal. Uh, they're, they're being above board in how they're doing this because certainly there, there are parts of the world where scientists could be doing this well away from any sort of public scrutiny. Absolutely true. And these the people who did this, I happen to know them. Oh, sorry. One of the lead researchers is at the Salk Institute in California, really top-rate uh, first-rate scientists. The team is great. They really are competent. They know what they're doing. There's no kooks, nuts, or fringe people here. And it's not to say, as you point out, that there couldn't be such people. But they don't get grants. They don't get the money. You have to agree to be transparent, to allow oversight of what you're doing, to let people inspect how you're handling the animals, to make sure everything's done in a humane way. You have to agree to publish. That's the requirements that you put in place if you were going to fund this. If some nut wants to try and do it, you know, out on an island somewhere, I think it's going to be pretty much impossible because it requires too much money and too much skill to pull it off. That's a great point. Dr. Kaplan, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for the insight here. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Uh, Dr. Arthur Kaplan, uh, uh, bioethicist, head of the Division of Bioethics at New York University. So his thoughts on what this means, where there's some legitimate areas of concern where we need to ensure that there's regulation, but also where there's some great promise here. So yes, the idea of a human-pig hybrid or chimera sounds weird and creepy, but what does that actually mean? What's being created here? Uh, So this is an embryo. The potential here is that human organs could essentially be grown. Even one of the researchers concedes, though, quote, the idea of having an animal being born composing of human cells creates some feelings that need to be addressed, not to say the very least. But don't we have an obligation to find ways of addressing that shortage that exists, the people who die every year awaiting a new organ? If these kinds of advances can allow us to create new organs that could be transplanted into people and save their lives... And we have an ethical obligation at the same time to, to pursue that, as much as this raises some ethical questions. 403-974-8255. Uh, some more thoughts on this. We've got a few other stories to get to as well. It's afternoons on News Talk 770.
Good afternoon, it's Dave Rowe. I am at the RV Show and Sale down here at the BMO Center. They are going to be here all weekend. I'm going to be here all afternoon telling you what's going on. I tell you, what is going on is 13 area dealers are involved in the show, and uh, when they say close quarters, they are not kidding. These people are jammed in here. We've got uh, more than 400 units, every shape, size, every kind of capability, uh, the diesel pushers all the way down to little tent trailers. And the one thing I'm noticing in common, though, I'm seeing a lot of signs that say was and is and was and is are followed by a price and was is a higher price and is is a much lower price hence advantage you yeah you bet with all these dealers in to in here and of course uh the economy being what it is and all these different units it is definitely advantage you down here you can come down you can make your best deal everything you need is here this weekend you know there's a couple of banks here on site so they can help you get uh, everything sorted out come on down and see us we're at the bmo center it's the rv show and sale Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.